Kia ora and welcome to this episode of the Stag Roar. This episode is brought to you by our mates at Modern Pirate, 100% carbon neutral. Modern Pirate makes an amazing range of men's grooming products. And if you're one of our Aussie listeners, then you've probably seen them in your quality barber shop. I've used the pomade in their matte clay paste to style what hair I have left. And their charcoal soap is the business. You can get 10% off every order by simply entering the code STAGROAR at checkout. That's lowercase S-T-A-G-R-O-A-R. Look good and support yet another quality Kiwi export that the Aussies are sure to claim as their own. Check them out at modernpirate.com.au. That code again is STAGROAR. So what did you say? Is this how you start all your pornos? Mm. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. <laughs> on the bed. Mike out. He, um... I, what is it? iMac, MacBook, video camera. Yeah, all that HD now. Maybe just need your phone. Yeah, phone, phone probably yeah. be better. Yeah, but I've only got a iPhone X, and so I've got a single camera to it. So. And your sheets probably aren't waterproof enough. <laughs> Gold. So. um this is episode 169. Wow. Good night. It's a good, good number. It's definitely how you start your pornos. <laughs> Significant. Yeah. And um, this is my younger brother, uh, Mark O'Connor. And he's wearing my clothes because we've been to the gym and you weren't planning on getting changed. That was silly. I was planning on staying stinky, but apparently it was... It was too bad. He was saturated. His flatmate couldn't handle it. So. <laughs> no. Um, you've always sweated profusely, Mark. <laughs> I don't know whether it's the hair, <laughs> the genetics, but yes, I sweat profusely. I, I reckon I've given myself a migraine like multiple times just from sweat. Yeah. Yeah, just like when we used to, when we used to be in RPC, we train at this house in the middle of um, the middle of Maribel. Yeah, and it's because it was post earthquake. We had no facilities or anything like that, so it was an old red stickered house <laughs> on the edge of Rangiruru College. Um, going upstairs was a bit dodgy, but so there's no air conditioning. And you'd be doing 90 minute ergs in a 35 degree day with no ear movement or anything like that. You'd lose a good three kilos through your session and then go home and take on pain relief and hydration just because I'd have like blurred vision. Oh, I'd, pain I'd, relief for a headache. Yeah, because <laughs> I knew a migraine was coming. Yeah. Yeah. So, so will you ever cross your mind to get on the phone to Glenn Sinclair and be like, can we get the ice vests up here? Yeah, or either that or the, the thermostats up the bum, just to... Make <laughs> That's from the PE department. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, did they come with you to China, or, or they stayed in Dunedin? The thermostats up the bum? No, yeah. they stayed in Dunedin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, talk, talk us through why Otago Uni heads over to the China as an excuse for the PE department to stick thermometers up in his bum. Yeah, I don't know whether the, the thermometers were, were first. 
or China was first. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I think um, the the president or CEO of Otago Uni Rowing, Glenn Sinclair, he's got a long-standing um, long-standing relationship with a few guys. They used they used to go to Taiwan every year, so that send uh, a men's eight over there. Um, but I think his contact changed locations or something like that. So in my first year at uni, we got invited to go to China, um, but like not not Beijing or anything like that. We went to Chengdu, which is like right over near the Himalayas and the right deep in China. And it gets pretty hot there. So there's a guy, do you remember his name? That is the... The, he's one of the uh, PE postdocs. No. Um, he studied stress, and he, he had some long-standing studies going. Where um, in this instance, he was looking at heat stress or or, or heat training, um, and they have a climate-controlled room in at the uni where they were testing adaptation and things like that. I'm just, I'll butcher it when I describe it. But what we did. Um, it was kind of acclimatization for us, but a chance to be lab rats for the PE school. So we got fully subsidized acclimatization training and we did various protocols over the various years. So I think the f maybe the first year we might have done, well, see my making this up, but we might have done a longer time in the room with a lower temperature. So maybe like 35 degrees and then high humidity. For 90 minutes in a room and in order to meet all your for them to collect data um, the best way is to swallow a pill but that's quite expensive and then you gotta like fish it out of your shit afterwards so <laughs> you can reuse and then you've got to think about when you're swallowing that pill that someone else has actually shared that pill out so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the second best way is a thermometer up the bum um, and so you get given a cord, which is probably about, it's probably maybe it's a foot, <laughs> 30 centimetres long. You're not expected, you're definitely not expected to go the full 30 centimetres, although I think some people tried. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it would be slightly thinner than your laptop cord, maybe like, oh no, so, so maybe, maybe your laptop cord actually. Yeah. Um, but a little bit stiffer so, so that it didn't just coil when you shoved it up. And so we would all, this is a men's eight crew, we'd, so we're all very, and we're all about 19, 21-ish, so we're all very immature about things up the bum. Um, and you would have, like, I was terrible at it, I'd have to like go to the toilet, I'd just have to think relaxing thoughts and just try and get it up there and then some days it would work some days it wouldn't work i don't know whether i've got long-term damage from trying to shove that thing up there but long long cord short in the end you would have this this cord up your bum and then it would kind of come out like a tail and then they'd tape it to your back and then every now and then someone would come in and then plug into your cord just to measure internal body temp and so then other years i think we did shorter shorter time periods and but much higher temperature so we might have got up to like 40 degrees plus and then high humidity and um that was 
It was weird because it was in the middle of winter. I was about to say that when you're in the middle of winter yeah. in Dunedin. <laughs> so I remember one day I was having to wear like tramping boots with socks over my tramping boots to walk down to the PE school because there was, you know, like snow up to your mid shin on the ground. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, proper bad Dunedin winter going in, stripping down, plugging in. Um, <laughs> And then trying to, that was the other thing, like trying to row with a, something stuck up your bum is like not very nice. Although we actually found that cycling was worse because like you're trying to sit on the saddle and the way that the the seat works mm. with, your, with your gooch <laughs> and the cord is like not that good either. And you'd only, you'd only be able to actually row for like a small period of time because it's just too, too uncomfortable and like I'd find my heart rate would go through the roof and you'd end up just sitting in a corner trying not to like trying to stay conscious effectively um and then you'd so do that pretty miserable and then you'd go back out oh row back up or unplug row row up um and then go back outside to you know zero degrees or whatever and go to university yeah so we do that before uni so i think we would probably do that for about four weeks leading up and it was pretty like it was pretty taxing um i think it's it's probably in terms of the data that they got like the guy released a paper later on which um i remember tj showed me uh, my friend from school who was involved in the sports science um what he what he stated when he summed it all up with the, some of the data he got from us and from other experiments was that stress is stress when it comes to adaptation whether it's just you going and doing a workout and working really hard and stressing your body hmm. or you using heat to stress your body or you using altitude to stress your body or you using cold to stress your body like stress is stress and there is an adaptation that is beneficial that you get out of it um, so you can get as fancy as you like or as simple as you like but ultimately stress was good in a physical education kind of I guess, context yeah. um, and a training context too and a training context although so that, that was what they found but we were finding when you were trying to train up for competition and you've got these heat chamber sessions which are really really taxing and you're trying to do speed work and you're trying to do like um, fast work you'd you'd actually be really drained mm -hmm. from the heat chamber sessions so you you might do a morning heat chamber session and then you're trying to do some sprints in the evening but your legs are just cooked your body's fried because you're still trying to rehydrate and re well i guess this is just me guessing but like rehydrate rebalance your salts and electrolytes and stuff like that so mm. we kind of you got a little bit of a confidence boost because you feel a bit like the russian dude from rocky four where you got all the science behind you but you also get a like degradation in confidence because you're not performing it was hard, it was hard to program it into like a, a training cycle through a week yeah so maybe we could have done that better was there was there a year that was better of course bearing in mind that i think this was the majority of your crew for those three years the same or different um 
it definitely changed a lot because you've got age groups because it's a university crew you've got the the third years that are like leaving and then you've got new first years and so it's so i did that trip for three years um and the crew was definitely probably at least 50 percent different each year and i don't have the data to actually look at like we were more effective this year or what and it's there's so many confounding factors when you've got different athletes and stuff like that so did it give was it a better experience every year i think subjectively like well personally i think i found the shorter more intense stuff better because mm-hmm. um, you got that heat exposure um i feel like as opposed to 90 minutes in the heat chamber like there were there was a day there where my internal body temp was up above 40 degrees wow. so like clinically i was probably in a bit of danger there but it was all right um but th- those longer sessions would just be misery and you you wouldn't feel good for a while whereas it, you'd still get the heat exposure with the shorter shorter time frame you get the confidence boost out of it but it didn't seem as taxing or maybe it was just that i'd done done it in previous years and knew what i was in for mm. and knew how to do it so it's it's hard to tell and i don't have the data yeah but yeah i because of that and that i think they kind of talk about that in the altitude training where you are supposed to live high train low because they accept that sometimes in training you, you actually need to practice being being fast and being good being good yeah you, you want you want like so much of sport is confidence and confidence is it comes out of like you having evidence of being good enough mm-hmm. um so if you moments of perfection yeah yeah so you want to go into competition knowing that okay well i've done these things in training and if i just repeat them then that's going to be good enough today rather than being like i've trained all this time hopefully with the training that means i can get up and produce something new today like that's not happening if you're drained all the time yeah well (laughs) yeah there is the peaking is a thing and you should get a little bit extra out of your peak but uh, we never had the approach that you are going to produce something that you had never produced before on race day. The theory was that you tried to rep, you tried to like train hard and go as fast as you could in training. Yeah. And then if you had a good day when you raced, then you might produce one of your bit one of your best sessions, or you might produce one of your best sessions in training. But like the expectation was, you would do what you'd done on your good days in training, and that's that's all you could hope for um i remember when nathan khan was talking to the news team after they won in was that london he talked about how um was it, no wasn't that oh yeah no it was london london yeah yeah he said that um the hour of power <laughs> yeah in summary he just kind of said like look we know everyone's times. We've raced against everyone before. No one's going to go 10 seconds faster today. So we knew that if, to, if we did what we knew we could do, we were in with a shot. And so yeah. we just focused on doing our race. Yeah, people got way out in front, but we knew that it's a 2K, like the finish line's not going to change position. No. And so we'll just do what we have to do and see what happens. So like that that's that mentality that I guess I'm trying to describe is you don't, you don't produce magic on the day like it looks like magic but really it's it's a, a reflection of what you've what you've been doing already 
So was that a philosophy you developed at Otago Uni, or was that what you had already with training with Dad? And like you won the what under nine, eighteen and a half single. Uh-huh. Yeah, I lost the under seventeen single, won the under eighteen single. Was I that think... was that which one was first? Seventeen was first. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah, I knew it might have even been the same day or the day after. I'm not sure. Nah, that that was kind of it wasn't a fluke, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah, like I was capable of it, obviously. Because what you and TJ had rode pairs and doubles, pairs and doubles. Yeah, um, I'd done a right in singles at the South Island level. I was a bit of a favourite for the seventeen single. Mentally, just fuck that up. Um, <laughs> Do you know what it was? Just, was put, it? just putting too much pressure on myself, focusing on the result, not the process. There's a guy, um, he's a pretty crack-up dude. Um, I didn't know him at the time. His name was Sam Wells. Um, he was really quick. He actually won the 17th single. And his coach was Rob, Rob Everett. So um, he, he's... Rob's the next Southland boys row. Like, oh, successful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they, they would come up to me in the boat park during the week and just just yarn. And like one of my biggest weaknesses then was like I was like far too cerebral about things. It's still one of my biggest weaknesses. And they would just yarn so to So like me. racing on day one? <laughs> yeah. Or like racing they, in your head on day one. Yeah, yeah, like in your head just like saying, <laughs> not sledging, but just saying stuff that I would overthink and like lose my mind about. And then by the time I got to that final, like my legs were jelly, the first 500 metres, I was like, I was, would have, if you looked at my splits, they would have been rubbish. And Sam just like completely took off. And um, oh, I think I looked around at 500 gone and he was like, many, many, many lengths ahead of everyone else. And I was like, well, I fucked this up. So after that point, I just kind of put my head down and rode through and like ended up third, which was okay given where I started. But really, um, based on my performance to that date, I probably should have known better. And I remember like I had an assistant. Dad wasn't, Dad was coaching me, but we also had an assistant coach that would come coach us, Richard Parr. Yeah. Canadian dude and he had to talk to me after the race he's like wait you fucked that up didn't you (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and um he he kind of said um because he catched you a bit at Otago as well yeah he catched me at Otago so uh, I guess it probably was a little bit of if you're saying about that philosophy it was probably starting then yeah where he said you got to dance with the one that brung you (laughs) was effectively like you don't the metaphor being you don't go to the ball with like a date and then try to do something else you don't abandon what you've been doing to mm. date you just you go to the ball with with the girlfriend that you came with that, that got you there and you, you hang out with her because mm-hmm. that's that's the girl that you asked out that you wanted to go with so in terms of rowing it's like why did, why did you do something different in that 17 single final why, like you've done races before you've trained before you've been good just do that dance with the one that brung you and so in the under 18 final, um, I focused more on just doing my own thing, how I'd usually done it, and then that ended up being good enough. So maybe that was the start of it. Um, I think about the same time I've been reading like the Hamish Carter books and um, 
few other sports psych books which I never really I'm, I'm not very good at listening to that kind of stuff but uh, some of it must have been seeping in about being process orientated rather than outcome orientated and that that kind of started being cemented and had more regular success mm. how like you, after that point you just said like you didn't really take on board much of much of that stuff like in our house like i think i was reading david Beckham's biography at like 12 mm. <laughs> and then we had winner's bible in the house winner's bible was the other one that i read yeah and because i think andrew realized that i was crazy so he gave it to me well, that, that was that was my book and yeah. it's like you need to read this effectively yeah <laughs> you're in that case <laughs> um but yeah we had like a few of those sort of well dad had coaching books and like books on the eight and stuff i didn't read those been been a rowing orphan i, I <laughs> shunned mm. away from anything that was rowing but like that sort of winning training system you know scientific mind appearance as well <laughs> system focused <laughs> I think I don't know. Like we're all pretty competitive. Yeah. Um, as kids, like I remember, probably the most of the fights would have been caused, like, due to backyard cricket or backyard rugby. I, or something like I that. caught Andrew out one time. Yeah. Fucking hell, I still love it. Or getting like an L LB. On the um, because didn't we, no caught behind. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like what was that pain in the garage or pain? So, so what was it like you bowled down the cobbles and then if someone like nicked it and then it hit the carriage door behind, it, the, the rule was like, right, oh, you got caught behind. Yeah, you were caught in the slips. Yeah. Because um, obviously with three people out there, you're not. But that was the, so we had um, at our house, the house going on one one side, the, um, the offside, so onside, sorry. Mm. And so none of us were very good at playing hook shots or pull shots <laughs> it was all I cut. wasn't very good at any shots <laughs> I was good at getting smashed by my older brothers and then just cry about it then ask you to go easy and then no one went easy but I, I think um, with it, such a short pitch um, it, it really forced us to spin a tennis ball as well <laughs> oh, I remember there was actually like a cobble that was loose. There was a cobble that was loose <laughs> on the on the leg side, and you could actually hit that cobble, and it would bounce in and hit the wickets behind you. Yeah, but, um, that was probably the best day of BYC that I ever played, where I hit that <laughs> cobble and got Andrew out. Oh yeah, clean bowled, and that never happened again. But I do remember that. And our wickets were a um, old fishboard skateboard. Yeah, propped up against the the bricks between yeah, the two garage doors. Nothing, nothing sweeter than the sound of a tennis ball on a, on a fish skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> indeed indeed yeah but then when yeah there was there was too many outs so hey? like you play a good stroke down the ground and of course it, you'd hit it into the paddock then so well i think that was you'd be out like patches was in that paddock and he had a reputation of bowling us over um patches the the ram inbred well now he wasn't inbred he, he was the og but yeah he was nuts <laughs> So like if you if you hit it in there on the full, it was like well, a you're over the fence and out, but b you you have to go get the ball and try not to get hit by patches the ram, <laughs> or else the grass would be long. Yeah, and you lose the ball. And lose the ball. Yeah. See that that fair rules. <laughs> so like really, you had to you had to try and hit it 
I don't know what that direction is at about two o'clock through the covers through, through the covers up, up the driveway because yeah but even then there's like mum had so much garden and well, mum and dad had so much garden you'd lose the ball wherever yeah um, yeah why why tennis ball's green yeah <laughs> <laughs> well of course because they're, they're for tennis they start off bright green and then you can find them alright but I think they took so much punishment they'd end up being like a muddy green and yeah they'd have a shit show off finding it yeah no anyway um so you, you went to Targa did health science yep was your first China trip your first year first trip first year so, so that really ruined health science <laughs> or were you already like no I'm not doing this <laughs> well I, I went into health science because my my girlfriend at high school was going to be a doctor um, she was very smart mm-hmm. um, she was from a family where being a doctor was effectively the only choice but I, I, I think she genuinely wanted to be a doctor as well and she probably is probably a very good doctor too um and so that meant that I wanted to be a doctor too. Um, Genius. Because I could think, couldn't think Because you were 17. At, at you were 17 year old male. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so she, only, only so much blood can go around. Yeah, she, she was going to go to a hall um, in Dunedin. So I, I was going to go to that hall too. And um, then towards the end of the year, she got into Monash University um, in Melbourne, direct entry into medicine. So then I was like, well... I'm going to be a doctor, but I'm not going to do it in Dunedin and um, obviously not going to be in that hall. So then she went away and then I was like, oh, I'm in this hall. It turns out I didn't really choose for myself. I chose it for other reasons. <laughs> and that hall was like very targeted at, at people to be, like becoming doctors. Anyone that's been to Otago, it's St. Margaret's. So yeah. it speaks for itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I had to start thinking for myself as to what I actually wanted. Luckily, there was a crowd of people that also went to that hall accidentally. Anyway. And we <laughs> I'm flat with one of them now, but he's, he's actually a doctor. Oh, no, he, he's a doctor. <laughs> Does he like it? I don't know. <laughs> I try not to raise that with people that went to St. Margaret's. It's, it's a bit rude to be like, oh, you went to St. Margaret's? Because most of the time it's like, I no, don't need to remove you, sorry. Um and then it's kind of like, do I want to breach this the the topic of did you or didn't you like it? Because it, it has a place for people, um, just not me. Um, <laughs> and you got I mean, you got swine flu as well. Yeah. So like, I, I mean, it wasn't all bad. <laughs> swine flu. <laughs> I, I met my wife. Yeah. Um, she looked after you, didn't you? Boy, yeah. Yeah. You, you, you were you were doing quarantine way before COVID. Yeah. Yeah, I'm an OG quarantiner. <laughs> and also like an OG pandemic denier because I got swine flu and was like, this isn't that bad. Why are you keeping me in my room? This is bullshit. I need to go rowing. Um, Did you not get that sick? Oh, like I was sick, but also I was dumb. It was just like... It was just... <laughs> yeah, it was a bit like me when so, I got clenched fever in Dunedin. Yeah. I was like, yeah, no, I'll be right. Nah. Yeah, no days off. Um, I, th- I, think, I think by the third night, where I was up, couldn't really breathe. I was sitting with my head over boiling water. I think by yeah, that, that sounds quite bad. Yeah, by that stage, I like rang mum and I was like, "Can you come get me? Should tell me back in the girl. Thank God, I was in Dunedin and not yeah. Auckland. Yeah, no, swine flu wasn't that bad. <laughs> okay, glandular's worse. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, no, I mean, the question was uh, first year rowing. They did it. Fuck, fuck that up. Um, I mean, it was in April. It was in first semester, but the reality was that I'd chosen a course that I didn't want to, that I didn't actually have my heart set on. Um, and by the time you do do those first tests and two tests and the rest forty percent, you pretty much know. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of that too. Like I was committed to rowing as well, um, and rowing is a pretty big commitment. Whereas you look around you at all these people that are committing to to health science and medicine, and there's there's no room for anything else. Mm. Um, and like there's some course content's interesting, but I just yeah. Maybe I was quitting. I, I still haven't worked that out, but I, I decided it wasn't for me. Um, oh, <laughs> when I did go to China, um, we I missed I missed a 20% chemistry test, but I'd organised to miss that. That was fine. I had like a makeup test when I got back. But when I got back, it must have been between the swine flu and just the freak out of coming back from China, I missed the 20% makeup test. <laughs> So, and there was a terms as well. So I remember going into the, the, um, whoever the, the chief of the paper, whatever you call it is, and just trying to... Dean, no, is that what they call it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and begging him just like, I, I know I've stuffed this up, but <laughs> I've really fucked this up. Um, but is there any, is there any way you can give me a chance? He's like, look, I'll give you terms, but I'm not giving you any marks. You're just down twenty percent. Oh shit! <laughs> so I guess at that. Did point, you pass it? Yeah, I got fifty-one percent. Oh! <laughs> I tried one percent too hard. That was that was my worst mark in university. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess that didn't help the health science thing. But I'd kind of already, I'd already tapped out by then. Yeah. Um, so what? Um, did, how did how did like your first lot of exams, like? My first lot of exams, those two forty percent chemistry it was, and um, human body systems did not go well. Yeah. But I was still, I was still gunning. You know, <laughs> you know, I don't give up. Very. It was horrendous. It's partly my downfall. I nearly made it into optometry after that first year, though. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like going into those exams, I studied so hard, <laughs> despite a whole bunch of shit going down, and then as soon as I finished, man. Boy, did I uh, let, let off some steam, but um, I didn't. I, I didn't know how to study. Oh, like, neither. NCA can show. I, I, don't, I don't know how to do university, and like I don't know how to live either. The first year, it seems so weird to me that first year health side is the course that decides medicine people. Oh yeah. Um, because most of most of, like, and saying that, like, we have like a lot of them. Are smart people that deserve to be doctors and all of that but um a lot of the people that i know their experience of leaving high school and leaving home and going into university and like experiencing all of that it's just it's just so different i wouldn't use the word traumatic but i think everyone generally has a freak out um (laughs) in some way or form and so you've got all these people freaking out and then it's like oh and you've got one opportunity that you can never do again to to get into this medicine course which is going to like be your lifetime career um talk about vocation eh? yeah 
And then on the other side of it, like, if you read up on it, medicine's not all that shit hot anyway. You kind of get used and abused and um, you make money out of doing crazy hours and stuff like that. Um, so it, it just kind of got to the point where I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is for me. Well, you know, whether, whether that was mum's influence or not, but that was why I never wanted to do medicine. And like, <laughs> yeah, I... I still get people asking me, why aren't you a doctor? And I was like, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and like, we were joking today about time outside of work is precious. And that's, mm. that's that, like the things that I like doing and you like doing, like, man, being able to leave work is so good. And saying that I'm not always good at that either though. Yeah. But I don't know. So uh, what I ended up doing was just kind of tapping out of that, focusing on rowing. Um, and then just choosing a range of papers. So, had this had the surveying stuff come up by then, or that kind of kind of like when, when I was at, at primary school and early high school, I wanted to be an architect. Yeah. Um, but then I did art and graphics, and really didn't like those either. And did you like graphics? Uh I like I, I I did like it, but um. I don't know, I think I was quite lazy at that point. I wasn't automatically good at it. So then I think like my reaction was like, oh, well, I don't like this. I'll go yeah. to something that I'm like automatically good at. Well, I think that was my reaction to art because it was like, art's really hard. But then I only did it in term. Yeah. But I, I really liked uh, design process from graphics and um, technologies. Yeah. So I did, I did two years of technologies, two years of graphics. I think I kind of gamed high school based on the stuff that I could do well at rather than chasing any passion or anything like that. It was just like, oh, I'm going to win this thing. So I'll just I'll do these papers because I, I reckon I can do better than other people at them. And that was what was good for me, knowing that I wanted to do optometry because I knew that the things that mattered was NCA, one, two, mm. and three. And I knew what subjects I had to do then. And so everything else I just did out of interest. <laughs> True. Yeah, for me it was like, oh, I want to be an architect. I'll do graphics and art. Oh, graphics I'm not good at. Uh, and, and apparently art's more important. Oh, art, I'm middle of the road. To really like it. But there's other people that are way, more, way better than me at it. And NCEA art, you seem to be like copying a lot of motifs. Mm. And the motifs were... It's really off-putting, like, eh? <laughs> all about suicide. So then I was like, oh, I think I'm going to go back to the drawing board. And by that point, I might have started dating this girl that was going to be a doctor. So therein lies the pathway. <laughs> um, you know how you're saying how like you don't know how to study, don't know how to do exams. There was something I was talking to someone who had done school cert the other day. And I said, I remember dad having taught school cert physics and stuff always being on my back being like don't you have a lab to write up or something and I was just like no I actually don't <laughs> and like, I remember Andrew having to write up like labs like for all the sciences do you remember the freak out over bursary like when Andrew did bursary exams like oh vaguely that yeah was a, that was a big deal yeah. it was not a big deal when we did level 3 and it was like with NCA it was kind of like here's your workbook fill in fill in the gaps yeah, and they had those. Do you remember those little cheat sheet pamphlets? Yeah, it was like, yeah, 
<laughs> here's yeah. the questions that are going to be in the yeah. exam here's the course content in this pamphlet so it's like guess what i'm learning <laughs> yeah and then yeah sure enough you do a mock exam and then you go into the nca exam and like oh yeah. these look familiar <laughs> and then you go to university and they're like here's a shit ton of information learn it it's gonna all might be in the exam here's five years of previous exams one of those questions might be in the exam. Yeah, and saying that uh, maybe it was just my like maybe it's just surveying, but a lot of surveying you could game like that. You could actually, I I had a, I had a pretty good capacity to rote learn things. Like I suck at rote learning. I um, <laughs> I got top student in um, in I guess it's year ten. Um, and I still remember my English essay. I learnt that by by heart before the exam oh my my the one excellence i got in english in sixth form was like that yeah short, just short shape redemption completely regurgitated this essay <laughs> verbatim that that i'd worked through got it like signed off by the english te- teachers about like is this a good essay yes it's a good essay sweet guess who's memorizing it yeah and he just wrote that because i knew the question got like a 90 yeah. percent or something like well, that, it, was, oh, it was just I, I can do learning, that too. I wasn't, I wasn't learning anything. It was just like I have this capacity to like remember manual shit and then throw it back out. I wasn't very smart. Well, that was like the one A plus I got at uni, and it was in neuro um, op- optometry. That's why I love listening to Andrew Huberman because he talks about all this stuff. Um, but I'd done neuroscience at uh, Dunedin. Yeah. So I had a little bit of basis to it. So it was talking about Schrodinger's cats and how the eye networks and stuff work. But I had plusage because I'd been I'd had um, tonsillitis when we had a big test, and so oh. I so I had plusage for this exam. And yeah, there was a similar thing. I like it was the only time I ever put um, citations in an essay at university. I don't know how or why these citations stuck. Right. Yeah, Andrew Huberman was talking about them the other day with Lex Friedman. I was like, oh, those guys. <laughs> Weasel, I think the guy's name was. And um, yeah, like, that's an, and I guess it's kind of like learning music or like learning songs, doing production and stuff. Like, you can, if you have a narrative and a story and things, you can rewrite something yeah, out. I guess so. But I mean, I guess we used to learn songs and stuff. Well, I, when I used to play music. I you did write, speech for a while too, eh? I do speech. Yeah, I'd only like sheet read music. Like, I was never... You know, you get people at school that would just like riff on the piano. Yeah. Or just... Or play the piano. They just play a song. And there's no sheet music there. I'd look at that and go, what are you, what are you doing? Like, who taught you? But is that how the clarinet is different? Because it is part of a musical system. Mm, I, don't, I don't know for long enough but well, how long did you get time, for? I think I did that through to year 10 and that, so that's like a part of the band though right? yeah yeah so you actually have to be in time but like I also did jazz and my teacher was a jazz musician and he would just rough mm. he, would, he would just be able to play songs and some of his like more senior students who were in concert band would be able to do that too. Like they would do whatever's above the 
What was it? What he was above Trinity? Is it Cambridge that was above Trinity? Yeah, I don't know. Don't know. Um, yeah, and, and they would have that ability of just like to pick up the instrument, get the. Did they write music? I think yeah, because they studied music at school, so they did composition as well. Because that was, was like with with um, Patrick Davenport when I was hanging out with him last time. He was playing like he's insane on the guitar. Yeah, and then he gave me the guitar, and I started like I can remember ish some songs. Yeah, badly. <laughs> I'm yeah. no I'm no guitarist. Don't, don't, yeah. Don't. Oh, oh no, this, this, no, it's like this. Oh, and I oh, know that chord. Anyway, yeah. um, and then I kind of had a song in my head. I was like, I wonder how you play this song. And he found like the root note, and then blasted it out. And right. I was like, How did you figure that out? And he's like, Well, because it starts here. Most songs have this structure and this structure and this structure, and so from here you can just kind of, if you find the base, the start of it, then you can kind of work it out. And I was like, Yeah. It's like that went over my head, man. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe we didn't stick it up for long enough. No, I didn't. I was, I was. You did way better at music than me. <laughs> I didn't. I did. I basically, like, I'd have the tutor show up on Wednesday night or whatever it was, and um, half an hour before I'd be in there trying to practice it again. <laughs> well, but even I kind of bullshitted that though. Like, <laughs> you just create and play before, before your competition, and then get get to a point where you're like oh yeah that's like competent sweet and like really if you look back at the total hours you put in you're like you piece of shit yeah um well that was even when i entered the school singing competition i like got in from singing mr bojangles acapella yeah and then yeah and in the shower and yeah it's fucking annoying (laughs) (laughs) it's a good song um and you know, I used to know that whole Swing When You're Winning album off by heart. But um, but then I couldn't get a track, a backing track. So then I had to like completely change song. And I was like, oh, I'll do Where Do The Children Play. But because I'd never really practiced it mm-hmm. the whole time, I knew it. I had to spend like four hours on the night before <laughs> playing it, learning how to play the guitar <laughs> again. Yeah. Oh, so you played the guitar. Yeah. Just I accompanied myself. <laughs> On the song that I hadn't got in with. <laughs> That's intense. Yeah. Oh well, I survived. I was I was sweating beads though. <laughs> yeah, that, that's stepping out of there, eh? When you, I don't know. There's something about singing. Yeah. Especially at high school. I mean, it's this certainly would be hard enough to do as an adult too. But there's something about singing at high school. When you're not like an all-in choir person like you still kind of want to be cool <laughs> but <laughs> then you go and sing and you're like oh this is dignity yeah because i might squeak today yeah <laughs> <laughs> i did i managed to get up enough courage to join the choir towards the end of school mm. and you're, you're saying about um going to uni and not thinking for yourself well i think in sixth form or seventh form because when Steve Broad got um, was in New Zealand Idol was doing quite well. Oh, really? Did James Hargis, James Hargis Idol? Yeah. And I bloody got up in front of the whole school and sung "Ordinary People," you know, and directed at someone who really had my guts. <laughs> Probably still does. <laughs> you get that. You get that. God, there's no brains when you're a teenager, <laughs> teenage boy. There's some pretty, some pretty good musicians at that school, eh? 
That's what that's what when people were like, What the hell is James Haggis College? I was like, Well we used to be good at rowing. Yeah. We were really good at concert band for a long time. Yeah. And uh we do a not bad production. Yeah. We had the odd the odd good water polo team or the odd good football team. And that was only that was only good in terms of the South Island. Yes. Where, yeah. It was like we get third at South Island Champs behind Christchurch yeah. Boys and Stack usually. <laughs> I heard I described that to you the other day. I, I think I described our water polo teams as like generally pretty poor <laughs> and like the poor performing South Island and the poor performing New Zealand. Like Yeah. Like water water polo and football is just yeah. I mean, we tried but we just weren't that good. Yeah. How annoying do you reckon that was, like being a big fish in a small pond? Um I don't know. I think it's good for you in some ways. But yeah. like Southland punches so often yeah. as well. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, like you, you think about James Unison. Oh, yeah. Or Eddie Dawkins. Or Nathan Cohen. Nathan Cohen, Stormaroo, Jadaroo. There are people that f- somehow figured it out athletically. And like, I mean, Stephen Broad even. Like musicians and... Who was it? Um... They're academics as well, like was it Kate French or whoever? Fr- oh, there's yeah, there's a few Rhodes scholars at home. Yeah. There are some some people who for whatever reason like just nailed it. Um so they're they're a big fish in a big pond, but they're also in a small pond mm. as well. So I I don't know. I think confidence the confidence that it gave you, I mean we both went to yeah, there was def- you definitely felt confident, eh? Yeah. And probably to the detriment when by the time you got to uni. Yeah. <laughs> but I think by that point, like, because we'd, we'd gone from a low decile primary school. Yeah. Where you kind of, we did okay there, but then like stepping from that school to high school was like, holy cow, everyone's really smart. And somehow we both got into top band. Yeah. Don't know how that that entrance test maybe, maybe I did just did a wee underhand or something like that. <laughs> well, uh, Dad, Dad was only there for like my fourth form. He wasn't yeah. even there in third form. He wasn't even there. Yeah, was he just, there for you? I think he was there for like a few weeks and he was like, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably good. I don't know. Yeah. have to ask Andrew. <laughs> but I, I guess what I was saying was like, um, you kind of got used to like, okay, You've, you've come to a new level now like you've got to figure out how to how to navigate on this more challenging level mm. and then it was kind of the same again it was the same with sports when you go from like okay plans uh, plans like for me plans have a men's team when you're 15 yeah yeah and then it's go you go to an age group and you don't get into an age group you're like what the fuck <laughs> yeah or you're like you play a club season and you might do a right where you compete within your club, within your team, and then you go, right, and then you compete against another team. It's like, oh, that guy over there is better than me, and that guy over there is better than me, so then I need to be better, and then you work at that. And then you might get into a rep team, and then you're like, oh, sweet, I've like made it. But then you go into a competition, and you're like, damn, they're all better than me. So we got our ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of get used to that process of, of changing ponds, I guess. So going to uni, I mean, yeah, it was like, Ooh, everyone's like real brainy but then you just kind of have to go okay back to the drawing board and yeah 
and work away at it or uh, or quit Halsey. <laughs> yeah, or realize the same for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um when what was that? I was sixteen, you were fourteen, we came to Hawke's Bay for Federation soccer. Yeah. And you're fun. you're a goalie and um you were very busy, but that kind of like highlighted that you were like a good player. <laughs> That tournament was weird because um, I was actually the second keeper. Um, maybe it was just my arrogance, but I thought I was the first keeper. But no, you probably were. It was just the other keepers from Dunedin, so yeah. he gets to be the I first keeper. Even from Tararu. Oh, yeah, there goes that there. Yeah, <laughs> but for whatever reason, I was the second keeper. Maybe he had been doing better in training for me than I was delusional. But he had a freak out. And decided that he couldn't. He couldn't play. Um, we got all the way to Napier and I don't even know if he got any game time and so then I was like the only keeper <laughs> and like as you see we got we got real busy but um, I th- think we actually had a he had a good game against Auckland it was, it was like North Sport or something North like that too, yeah. We, yeah. We, we drew one all and that was like a, a match that like the whole federation was like what? Like, we usually get smashed by them. Because that was, because their base was Waitakere City. Yeah. It was, by that stage, the National League had started, and Waitakere City, I think, had won that year, or they were in the final with Auckland City, so. Yeah. So, I don't know whether they just completely choked and thought we were going to be real easy, and we actually hit flow. Or United, Waitakere United. And played really well, or both. <laughs> but, for, yeah, for whatever reason, like, we had a screamer they had a absolute shit show and Bruce Tomatid maybe they didn't drew at all but like then we play against I remember there was one day that we lost like 11-0 <laughs> um, which is a pretty hard day in the box but in terms of the amount of shots on target that I had to compete with like I had a, I still had a good day in the box like, yeah it was a hard day, but like I still did well. What do they say? It's got to get past ten people before it gets to you. <laughs> yeah, like so we. I had it. I was extremely busy, and yes, I let eleven in, but I also stopped like a ridiculous amount that day. And and I think that was the the game where they had this guy that was just so much faster than anyone in our team, and it was just one v ones all day. <laughs> and it got to the point where it was like I don't know whether the coach said something to me or I just had enough. I was like, well, this guy's going to keep doing this for the rest of the match unless he's not on the field <laughs> so he dived at his feet or something i dived at, dove at his feet and then he got carried off in a stretcher and oh dear because the keeper um or is generally gets first favor i think it must have been a genuine challenge and because i committed more than he did he come off came off worst off and then i had i was less busy for the rest of the match so yeah no that worked against me as striker i think i got three yellow cards in the first four games for tackling the keeper effectively no backs usually yeah um J- jeremy something he's he's now a doctor um from from canterbury we had a we had a good good battle and then we ended up being in anatomy together in in dunedin but um oh right yeah right. um got we had a ruckus bit of a ruckus but and then the, the i think the game after i had my stand down then I injured my back, so I missed like three games at that time, or two games, must have been two games. I stand up and down from all your yellow cards. From three yellow cards, yeah. <laughs> Aggressive much. Well, that's, that's where the, um, at that time, John Hewitson and John Herdman called me Bulldozer. 
Yeah, they were they were pretty special for Southland football. They were, they? Yeah, so they had two, two coaches that had come from Sunderland. John Herman, like, he was an incredibly skilled player, incredibly um, talented mind, but he, tiny. he was, was a tiny man. Yeah. And in, in a place like Sunderland that, you know, has battles with Newcastle and, you know, they go down the motorway and battle against Manchester. <laughs> Being yeah. a small lad probably didn't work in his favour, but shit, he was intelligent. And like that, he he is someone that's like been influential in my life. Like I still carry that look, look good, feel good, play good with me. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, it was probably just the age that I was at, but John Herdman was definitely inspiring. Oh yeah, um, as like someone who was probably extremely young when he came on the scene, and he just got you real passionate about it. And it was, Go on, lad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Shorty. Shorty. <laughs> um, yeah. Think Geordie Shaw. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and it pump you up and just make you feel so cool. But whereas, like, John Hewitson actually coached us, and he was probably more influential. Like, I remember going up to a tournament in Dunedin. Morky. <laughs> and, um, like, because we, we used to have some pretty all right players, but then we'd even when we were training all right and learning the game and doing really well, we'd still go up to Dunedin and just lose. As uh, Southland. As Southland. Yeah. And um, I just remember him having a go at us <laughs> at halftime. He's like, you guys respect the, you guys respect these people too much. Like, you, there's no reason that you can't compete with these guys. You just, you just need to drop the respect. You need to go out there, play the way you can and just show no respect. And that was like similar to um, Richard Parr saying, like, dance with the one that brung you. Yeah. That was like a key message of just like, I was just a kid, but you, you kind of had this light bulb moment and kind of like, all oh, right, like, we, this is optional. Yeah. Like, that, and that was kind of like what a lot of the post match for the Argentinians was on Saturday that, like, I think it can't, had come from Mokotika or something that you, you know, you guys are good. You've got experience, you've got youth, you've got talent, you've got size, you've got strength, you've got skills. Go out there and take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you've, you've got, what, there's that saying about like, if not you, then who? If yeah. not now, then when? And it's like, that was kind of for them. Like, Argentina's never been in the All Blacks. Well, why can't you yeah. today? <laughs> why not? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Especially now, like, if, if you know, the, the permit, La Pumas or whatever they're called, they've, been in Super Rugby a few years, you know, there's plenty of um, Pumas who play in, in Europe at high calibre, like they've got amazing forward pack. And yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the thing, they've, they've probably got over that, that um, mental process within their own regions. Yeah. But even at the top level, they've still potentially been susceptible to that mindset. Um which is quite interesting as well because like they wouldn't they wouldn't make the Argentinian team if they had that like oh we're gonna play that that team from the big city therefore yeah they're better than us like it's it is a pretty hard mindset to break and I I remember hearing that from Dad when we went to our first Marty it was it was just like um he kind of got sat in the committee room at the Ryan Club and um he would just say right you're going to the 
the National Secondary Schools are our own chance. There's going to be a lot of schools there that have a lot of money, like St. Kentigan's are going to show up and they're going to have like an amazing, and <laughs> an amazing boat trailer with like all brand new boats and they're going to have all the gear and they might even have two boat trailers. <laughs> um, and there's, there's going to be a lot of other like very good looking schools up there. It's going to be very intimidating. But we have a program here that has been successful in the past. And we, although we don't have all that good equipment um, or the, the numbers or the tents or anything like that, it's never stopped us before. Like the, all these people just, they got two arms, two legs, like that kind of chat. Yeah. And, and I guess, just, I guess just like you, and actually they run on much worse water. Yeah, as I was about to say, I guess, <laughs> I guess the really awesome thing for you guys is um, actually we were on the best water in the country for the most amount of time, and mm. we actually get in a few more regattas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though the trees grow sideways in Southland, you yeah. still manage to get... <laughs> and yeah, it was, it, was, it was similar to the No Respect talk. It was like you... what. What you need to realize is that the, every one of these people is beatable and we've got a good program and so long as you've done the work this year there's absolutely no reason why you can't be in the a final when you get there and we, we got that talk the first year we went to marty and we got absolutely thrashed yeah <laughs> but by the time we got on like eventually there was a, a few moments of like oh right no we can we can beat this person even though they come from the big city or whatever, or the, the big fancy school. And then it's, yeah, maybe it's linked to that bigger pond mentality that we were talking about earlier. Mm. And so what was the difference between Marty and then that goodie you guys had at Nationals as a club and your crew in particular did doing really well, but there was another, a couple of other smaller boats that did really well as well. The girls had a good, well, I mean, good regatta the, also. The girls had Sarah Hamilton at that time, and she won, I'm pretty sure she won like every single senior women's event Wow, <laughs> that you could win that year. She had an amazing regatta. I think, like, Dad had just built up uh, a critical mass of, of key people, but also he had momentum in his own region, and he had, he had achieved the status of mana with his athletes as well. like, And that was when you guys were, had Will Payne doing strength yeah. conditioning. He had Richard coming and Walter coming. I think Richard might have been gone by that point and Walter was gone by that point, but we had Duncan Holland Duncan coming. Holland, yeah. So like we, we had this kind of perfect mix and perfect system that had been around. Well, not perfect, but like we had a, some systems in place. That had been around for a few years and we had had like from I guess when Nathan won his first red coat well, and that was for Invercargill <laughs> for Invercargill but like he he kind of him and Andrew's age group kind of paved the way where they started this run of success out of the Southland region yeah so Southland has two rowing clubs Invercargill and Wahopai yeah yeah and so they we had these guys that went up and then they won a whole bunch of events at national secondary schools. That had happened in Southland before, but it had been like a long time between drinks. Yeah, so what, Clark Dermody, Jason Rutledge, yep. and Corey Flynn had yep. a good crew for Boys High. I think and, Rob Everett might have been in that crew. Yeah. I talked about earlier. And then there was Trent Holden, 
Yeah. As a single. There's tenors. Um, oh, yeah. And another South and Boys High single. Yeah. Yeah. There had been some good guys, but it had kind of been quite sporadic. Um, Dan Blaine had had a few good years. Um, was that with Hargis or Boys High? I think it was more Carpenter Boy. I'm not sure what he did at school. Yeah. Um, but there hadn't been like a sustained and building success period, whereas South and Rowing had a winter training program with a strength conditioner and all through the winter and access to a professional coach that, that wrote a program and visited the athletes regularly. And it wasn't necessarily like the, the British professional coach was great, but it wasn't necessarily that the professional coach was great. It was kind of just like, it was the perception from the athlete of like, I'm getting this person from the outside who uh, Richard Parr, for instance, had coached, he'd been head coach of Ireland and he was Canadian and it was just like a different voice mm. rather than your own coach who like leads on to you about this technical aspect. It, for whatever reason, it just sounds way cooler. When it and comes is, it, is it also that he's saying something similar and it's kind of like, oh, what I've been doing, oh, this, this is what I've been trying to do or trying to yeah. achieve and like yeah, hearing it, for, like say, from a different voice and a said in an ever so slightly different way yeah reinforces the things you've been working on yeah i, I think absolutely so so we had this like this program um we, we we actually got time away from our summer coaches which i think was helpful too for us and the summer coaches um we got to train into clubs so you know i got to train with hayden cohen who later became the new zealand rower and um a couple of other senior rowers from other clubs and so that was a Southland Winter Program. It was a Southland Winter Program. And, oh, cool. and, and you had a chance to feel special being part of that Southland Winter Program as well. It's like you got a t-shirt. And, yeah. <laughs> and like, it's just little things that boosted your confidence. Um, but a lot of the 2012 I Hope I crew had been through that program. Yeah. So we had this program in place through the winter. People were doing, you know, they're doing the work. Um, and we're, we had this kind of sustained period of results where like Nathan was winning like pretty much everything under the Invercargill singlet under the Invercargill singlet uh, yeah. St Storm Uru was winning um, Jade Uru was, was winning wow, Lu Louise Ailing she won a gold coat from a club crew against all the RPCs that was like a real key moment in our club yeah so that we had had these performance centres got introduced which when they first got introduced there was a so Gold Coast was a lightweight yeah, championship. Yeah, so a lightweight yeah. premier event. And so what, what these performance centres mean meant was that you, you could be from many different clubs so long as you were within the same catchment. You could go to this performance centre and row together under one programme um, with the other best people from your catchment. Yeah. And because it was new and because the performance centre was based in Christchurch, it was logistically... Uh, and like financially quite challenging for South and Rowers to like set themselves up up there. Yeah. So Louise Ailing, for instance, she did a season with with Dad and um, Barb. Can't remember Barb's last name. She was a machine too. Um, and they went away to the nationals and won the the lightweight double um, and beat all these RPC crews. And it was kind of like a it was a big moment for Southland and the club and I was like yeah we can actually we can actually do this we can get some good results yeah and um, 
so there was all these waves and even we had met Malcolm and Sarah Hamilton who come from Invercargill as well Invercargill Rowing Club as well not Waiopai but they joined our squad that had good success on the Invercargill singlet but at, the, at that period in time I hope I had a squad that gave them some opportunity for crews and options at nationals um, <clears throat> so it, in terms of dad he had this because he'd been administrating and he'd been helping along with a lot of the other South and Rome administrators to set up this process and that was you know feeding was feeding of the cargo Rowing club but it was, it was also feeding my hope Rowing club the success was building um, people were staying on uh, we had a few key leadership people but then it we kind of reached this this tipping point where you knew you could win you had access to the tools that would allow you to win and then it kind of became this thing of like well I've just got to do this program and then I can go to nationals well I got to do this program be in the squad I can go to nationals and then I can get a chance at winning yeah and um, I mean some of the key senior people have been winning for a few years um, so they were likely going to win like Matt and Sarah even myself by that point I've been reasonably successful but then we started mixing in some of the younger people and like and then it started to snowball as well yeah. where like there were people in that squad who were good athletes but I think they got results better than what they were on paper mm-hmm by manner of what that squad had created in terms of culture, momentum, like mana, expectation, it all kind of just clicked um, to a point that, you know, people were just coming down the track all day, like, well, I hope I gold, well, I hope I gold, well, I hope I bronze. Like, it was, it was pretty insane. Um, and, yeah, like, we, we got medals in the senior eights and stuff like that, which was a pretty mean feet considering like we're scraping the barrel just to like put an eight on the water mm. um it was pretty pretty special moment that and it was cool as well like even to add to the culture it was our 125th anniversary for the club was that that year i think it was either the year before or that year so we wore the special row suit that was yeah um, the same colors as the, the old one eh? the cargo railway stuff so there was all these just all these things that made like the perfect mix that you couldn't really repeat it again out of a small club. Yeah. Um, and was since that... then, those, a lot of those systems have unfortunately fallen apart for one reason or another. Yeah, was that quite frustrating being there, having, you know, started at Harvest when Storm and Nathan, Andrew um, and Andrew's crew were like winning and sort of taking through, you know, taking through... Um, the rowing program at Harvest and getting to seventh form and being like, oh, who's going to come rowing? Oh, hardly anyone. Mm. Going away to uni, having four, four or five years? Was it 2009 to 2013? So four years. Four years. You know, going to China three times, going to Russia once, winning in Russia. Was it AK8? Yeah, so it was along the, the river through the middle of Moscow. I think it was a, it was a long distance. It might have been five or eight K. Yeah. Um, beating uh, what Yale <laughs> yeah that one so the China ones we raced 
like Harvard, Yale, Oxford, Cambridge, but to be fair, they're alumni crews. So like, although... Um, it should the, mean they're better. <laughs> yeah. The, um, who was that? It might have been the, the Cambridge crew. Yeah. was like full of the guys from the German men's eight that had won um, world champs after world champs. Oh, awesome. Through like the late 2000s and um, had set world best times and stuff. Like there were proper big time international rowers. So it, it was competitive, but like some of the, some of the named crews, like the Yale crew, was like an alumni crew that was there, crew that was there for a piss trip. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. It, it wasn't. So it's a bit like going to the Singapore teens, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was a little bit like that. Yeah, um, Borneo teens, but still, <laughs> like the, the experience was cool. You met Olympians and world champions and stuff like that. Whereas Russia, what was it? What were those? R- crews Russia, like? I think there, I think there might have been a lot more, like Russian and European university crews. Yeah, that that trip was a bit of a blur. That went quite quick. Cause of the vodka, or <laughs> that was part of it. Um, <laughs> After the rowing, but... yeah. But like, yeah, there was, there was. Uh, I think Kuspavia from Italy, um, Moscow University, Saint Petersburg University. There were a few like military crews, and it, it was a lot more European the lineup there, but. Was sort of quite more quite Eastern European. There weren't as many um, sort of Brits or anything like that yeah. involved there. But like we had a good crew and we did well. And um, Vera, you won. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then going back to Invercargill and like working and training and being in this really good environment of people that had come through a system to see the school rowing fall down was that quite frustrating? Super frustrating. Um, and because you went along a few times eh? or was that while you were simple i went along what do you mean like did you speak at assembly at all was that yeah yeah like i i I definitely tried to speak at assembly and get people involved um at various times i tried tried to do recruitment i don't yeah when when i was because i went back and coached after uni when i was actually starting work and i find that girls were much better at at picking at getting interested it was really really hard to get young boys involved in in rowing yeah um i I definitely know rowing is not cool (laughs) which is pretty important when you're in high school but as you say when you get to go to china you get to go to russia um i had offers to go to you know, to look at going to Harvard at the end of high school when there's plenty of examples of rowers in New Zealand that have gone to Ivy League or yeah. or major public universities in America. And you had like Trans-Tasman series. Trans-Tasman series, yeah. For Australia. Go to Adelaide. Uh, Andrew went to Sydney. Um, he wrote in the Olympic course in Sydney. <clears throat> yeah, all, all kinds of really cool opportunities. Um but it's just no pickup. Yeah. No pickup at all. And I I think for me, I often wondered that because we'd grown up in a rowing family, <laughs> dad, dad's a coach, uh, Andrew is successful, mum rowed, she's also an official. We had Rob Dow stay at our house. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> when we were kids, we had dinner with the Everswindells. 
Yeah. Um, like our great great granddad's on one of the first photos yep. in, in, in the rowing <laughs> club. <laughs> like we're so entrenched. We coxed as kids. We, yeah. we grew up wasting time at the rowing club while dad was out coaching. We were so entrenched that um, I think it was hard for us to try and communicate to like normies or whatever, like just people that have no idea about the sport. Yeah. In a way. It's not like it's on TV, eh? Yeah. Or like communicate in a way that's effective why it would be good, why they might enjoy getting involved in this thing. Um, Because like for me, it's just, that's why I grew up and then I did it and I really enjoyed it and I did all these things. There, were, there was never the barrier of like, well, that's pretty, it's kind of weird. <laughs> like you're going backwards. Backwards, you're doing uh, the same motion for 2,000 meters. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it sounds like, like everyone knows that it's heaps of work. Like they train just as much as swimmers. Yeah. Um, early mornings, like all those things to try and communicate to people why it would be worth it yeah. to get involved in something like that. I mean, we always tried to like subtly say that like, it's a sport there's really good looking people walking around wearing lycra yeah but even that wouldn't really pick it up (laughs) often the best thing was that like if some of the hot girls at school yeah got in rowing then you might get some boys come along so (laughs) but how creepy is it to go to school like okay like who are your hottest coolest girls we're going to try and get them to start the sport yeah you can only do that while you're at school yeah even then that's questionable yeah that's questionable yeah so um you worked in southland for how many years excluding summer work at tiboy yeah so as a professional oh so 18 well almost two years oh so um i finished finished uni did one final club season yeah um because like part of my interview i kind of said that like look I've done this rowing thing. I've been successful domestically. I've tried to get into the international part of it and failed a few times. I'm not going to be trying anymore. I want to apply the same intensity that I have done to the sport to my professional life now because Mm -hmm. I don't think I can continue applying it to rowing. And also, I just want to, I want to do do well at something different now. Mm -hmm. Um, But. I want to do one last season and give back to the club that effectively gave me all this opportunity. So I went and did nationals and then started work the week after nationals. So that would have been end of February yeah. 2014. And then we moved to Christchurch after Christine finished her pharmacy degree on Labor Week in 2015. Yep. So, so that's... A year and a half. Yeah, yeah, 18 months. Really. Yeah. And so you were w- doing trig work in Fjordland? Yeah, we... Um, so did you shoot a deer? Or you were just part of a successful I was, hunt? I was, I was a part of a hunting party. Yeah. yeah. But even so, you were part of a successful hunting party before I was, and I'm dead keen on hunting, and yeah. have, have you been out since? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I, no. Rem- I remember you telling me that you were butchering up a one league at home, and I was like, you bastard yeah so now because we've all got this guy Jono who's the branch manager in town now Jonathan Olsen and he's 
he's the kind of guy that knows pretty much everyone in Southland like he's, he's half the reason we have as much work as we do down there because like people are like oh we're doing a we're doing a job for this family he's like oh yeah no I know him we're good cobbers uh, I went to school with him or he, he married this person like just classic classic Invercargill stuff Southland mentality um, <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to be uh, going out with your cousin <laughs> well like he's get this he's like from Southland through and through like an old and he's Naitahu uh, yeah um, and he married Ryan from Bluff yeah so that's like brave brave apparently like he actually says like we really had to like look through the books just to make sure like we're definitely not related we're definitely not related okay we're sweet we're like you're not my cousin and the Ryans are related <laughs> to the Fluties who are, yeah. the, who are the powerhouse people yeah <laughs> well like they, they pretty much are on half the shipping vessels out of Bluff and Stewart Island and the Chathams and like <laughs> They're like a, a very, very strong bluff family. But yeah, so Jono is dead keen on his hunting and fishing and um, you go up to Tiana to do these jobs and we'd stay at Davy, Davy Gunn's camp um, while we did work in, in um, Milford. And um, so you, you do like a, you weren't not working hard like it wasn't all hunting and fishing but you'd do like a 10 hour day in the field and then you'd be like racing back up through the tunnel to go um, stalk the riverbeds yeah um, around Davy Gunn's camp or um, he would organise for a boat to be sitting at Milford <laughs> so that you could go out and like pull up some cray pots or, um, or or he'll bring his diving kit and everything like that so you'd do a big long day and then you'd be out doing that or you'd be up doing some mouse fishing in Tianao um, by the dam or or fishing the rivers for rainbows um, on the way back to Tianao from Milford um, and then one job that we did we were um, doing a topographic survey for tsunamis in, um, in Milford because they'll be identified that when the Alpine fault goes or any severe earthquake happens in there that causes landslip there's a risk of tsunami just because of the walls of the fjords you get a big massive rock hitting that it's going to cause a massive wave that comes up the fjord so we're trying to figure out where an escape route could be that people could get up get up to a safe rl and we're cutting lines through native bush all day and working pretty hard doing some sort of 10 to 12 hour days and um yeah, we jump into the truck at the end of the day and we raced up through the tunnel up to, um, it slips my mind, what's the valley that David Gunn's camp is that goes out to the lake? Out to the lake? Uh, oh. Where, where oh. they want to do the road? Let's look on maps. It's at the foot of the root band. Why? But no, that's no, that's national park. That's the national park. Your hunting listeners will think I'm an absolute idiot. Well, I don't know because I haven't been in there. <laughs> no, don't know. Apple Maps ain't gonna tell me. Anyway, Google Maps. There's so. a spot. <laughs> yeah, don't tell where there's, where there's deer. Right? Yeah, there's a slip somewhere in Fiordland. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that um, 
jo- it was like Jono, me, and Harry, who's like the, the boss's son, who yeah. was like, I think he was like 15 at that point, or maybe even 13. Like, Jono's like full of beans, like full noise guy, and he's practically just running up this, sl- up this um, track to get up to the slip, and we're like busting a gut trying to stay behind him. I, it was weird thinking that that was deer stalking because it was effectively just mountain running. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, I don't know how any deer is going to Still not, be there. Not hear us huffing and puffing and crackling and running. Um, but I guess it's all soft underfoot. So yeah, we were running up this hill and then we came to a slip and, um, Jono, so like, we were quiet as we walked down onto the slip, but it wasn't not hurried. Jono sees a, a deer probably about, I don't know, 100 metres up the slip to his left. And Harry and I see a deer like right in front of us off to his right by like 20 metres. Yeah. Or less. And and we're like trying to be like, Jono, like, there's a deer there and he's like looking way like this uphill shot <laughs> and then the deer like finally like looks sees us bolts and then that movement gets Jono's attention turns bang bang and then it was within seconds this thing was down um, so it was a hind was it spiker spiker yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, must, <coughs> must have had a bit on it because I remember we like not a lot it might have been just growing at that point yeah because uh, we took the antlers to um, feed the dogs because he's got a lab and um, Harry's family. So it was spring, was it? Yeah. 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 It's about this time of year. Yeah. Um, and Harry's got a dog as well, so they cut him up to go to the dogs. And So, you know, we've just done a 12-hour day, run up this hill onto the slip, saw, saw two deer, like it seemed easy as, bang, bang, <laughs> and one's down. The other one ran, one up the slip, ran from the sound and um well potentially hunting's ruined for you <laughs> yeah well like the, the other thing was the whole time is um one of the chopper outfits is up in the tops and all, all they're doing like culling yeah and all you can hear is just like bang 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 bang, bang. <laughs> and you know that it's just you know let the bodies hit the floor up up on the tops and you're thinking like what why is Ryan having so much trouble? Like he must be really bad at this, because yeah. apparently there's deer absolutely everywhere. Possibly, yeah. yeah. There's, no, there's no deer in the Kaimai. So yeah, a, that's a that's a well known fact. Or was it like Harwe Valley where you were? Oh no, we saw deer there. Right, it was <laughs> too far away. Yeah. Oh, the no, um, Timaru Creek. We 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 have seen a lot of deer, and uh, don't tell you, Jenny, but a bit of tar in there as well All right. um, but that's that's been 10 since we've been in there whether that makes a difference who would know yeah. Um, but yeah the Blue River we did not see any deer yeah. um, but again as I've said many times we were also too pussy to climb the hill so yeah. probably our own fault <laughs> I mean yeah we, we also went for a few like we went for a walk up um, the Kepler way while I was with Jono like so I've probably, I've probably done about, it's probably like the fourth walk that we've done, mm. looking for deer with him. And he definitely knows all the spots. Yeah. Um, he's got some farming mates, so he knows, he's got access to be able to fill up his freezer as well. But he's always super generous in terms of just sharing, sharing his, um, his spots and like taking, 
someone like me for a walk. Yeah, nice. Um, and he got into free diving a little bit, but then found out your car sickness hadn't left you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So we went, we went power because the Barsdale boys, they um, they took me power diving out the back of Bluff. It's pretty funny because um, we, we went out there, had a good day, but like I spent the first half hour just taking on salt water like what you're on the banks of the Fobo Strait um, and amongst the rocks and that's very rarely calm and it was it definitely wasn't a calm day it definitely wasn't because you know how rough it can get there but like we were we weren't getting worked but there was definitely a bit going on was there any tide there or not really not really just wash it was pretty close and just wash yeah and um so we we're doing some just some snorkeling for powers and there was heaps there um that was that my first real exposure to i mean like i've been in the ocean before but like we never had boats or anything like that so it was my first exposure to like being in the ocean and just seeing fish all around and powers everywhere and just going there's a whole there's a whole universe here there's that, a shit <laughs> and i can't see it from the bank but if i just get under the water like there it goes i mean i guess we're done uh, gone power yeah, uh, picking at Riverstale Beach yeah but um, that, that was cool but like I was just having so much trouble in that first half hour just trying to relax mm. and like chill into the surf um, the next half hour was good I figured out how to like get my breathing and my relaxation gone get some time under the water to get a few powers up um, there was plenty there filled up some bags and um then that third half hour like I, the first half hour like was painful i was so sick i had to like lie in the bank and just <laughs> I, I can't remember whether i bombed or not but i was very green between there and home and then it turned out that afterwards where we were was actually like near the sewer outlet for bluff as well as where the outlet for the old meatworks was ah. which is like a famous great white shark oh nice hunt, hunting ground from back in the day good <laughs> so uh, we didn't see anything um i don't know whether anything saw us but like i was kind of like kind of like after that yeah i don't know if i'll go back there um <laughs> it's probably fine <laughs> yeah it's probably fine no good part was made some, <laughs> made some power patties um but yeah it was it's kind of like yeah you have those experiences i've i've had to go to a rally car before yeah um in a rally sprint it's an amazing experience and then after it the mate who got me a ride in the car was just like yeah he did the rally of catlins and um stacked it on the first corner and his um co-driver um broke his neck oh shit (laughs) (laughs) is that kind of thing i'm like yeah i would have had a different perception of that whole experience probably just as well were you sick co being in the co-pilot seat of that or were you just that full of adrenaline that the movement didn't worry no it was amazing it was the, <laughs> it was the ashley ashley forest rally sprints where you just go like up a hill down a hill um it's a minute race effectively. wow <laughs> and there's like a nice drift at the top of it like i'm not even into motorsport but my mate alex really is um mitsubishi's eh <laughs> yeah and like he follows f1 and rally and he's definitely he's a mechanic I talked to him about cars but I don't know anything about it and he's just so passionate that I've, I've 
I was kind of always like, man, I need to, I need to see what it's like. Yeah. Um, because I just don't know, and he's really passionate, and lots of people like it. So and so he invited me out to the Ashley Gorge race, Ashley Forest Rally Sprints. And I was like, yeah, sweet, because I kind of asked him like, what's a good stepping on point to get to figure it out? He's like, come to this. It's like it's a good day on the hill. Yeah. Had he promised you the ride in the car? Or no, that? no. <laughs> so he texted me that morning. He's like, oh, I got you a ride. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he picked me up. He's like, yeah, I got you a ride in Will's car. Like, Will, who's Will? Yeah, like, oh, Will's our mate. He's he's racing today. He needs a co-driver, so you're up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, Sweet. Um, so we went there and um, walked up the hill, watched a few people come past. Like it's a pretty cool event. There's like a bunch of old classics. Like there's different there's different classes that people enter. So there's classic cars and um, different levels of modification and all wheel drive and stuff like that right up to Hayden Patton yeah. and it's like fully juiced up um, Hyundai which yeah. he was still driving at the time yeah, plus it's, yeah, it's electric yeah plus a local guy who had like an 800 brake horsepower engine in there apparently Hayden Patton had like an engine specifically made but it blinded it up on the Tuesday or something like that right so he's in his like second car which only had 400 and something horsepower Oof. and he was still driving technically enough that he like broke the course record a couple of times and won the thing and beat the guy with the 800 brake horsepower car pretty it's pretty cool levels it's, it's <laughs> like you you go up to the top and watch these guys just fully crossed up drifting but they're going at breakneck speed i mean so when i did did um my co-driving um it was in this old Celica that yeah. had been like <laughs> It was quite, you know, it had a cage um, and, it, and it had a bunch of switches and it like sounded pretty cool and it went pretty fast, but um, it had like a paddock racer-esque nature about it, but, like, <laughs> it hauled ass and um, yeah, cool man, you're just like digging, you could feel the wheels digging into the inside of the corner, use the handbrake to do this um, drift turn at the, at the top because it's a hairpin turn. Mm-hmm. And then you're going like over 180 clicks downhill on a gravel track with like a steep bank on your left, another steep bank going up on your right. And you're thinking, well, if you fuck this up, like it's game over. I mean, he he gets in the car and, and you're in your overalls and he has this like helmet with full on like neck support, which buckles in. And then he just gives you like a standalone helmet. <laughs> Hold your neck. <laughs> and, and he's like, right out. You know the drill if we crash, eh? I was like, well, what's that? He's like, well, like, hold, I'll put your arms like this or sit on your hands. Don't look, don't put your arms out or you'll lose one. Like, oh, shit. Okay, cool. Right. But yeah, I def- I'd still recommend it. It's, it's amazing. But um, yeah, very, very fast, very dangerous. I don't know how they get past um, health and safety. They must sign some serious waivers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, We've been to the gym tonight, but uh, you're gonna swim part of or do the swim part for the Wanaka challenge. Yep. And you were, when did you give up swimming? Like, well, I to, was to go to rowing, basically. I was, I was never any good at swimming because I was like a string of weasel piss as a kid, and it was all the the, the strong kids that were that were good. Um, 
So yeah. I, I and you grew very fast. Yeah, I did club, and then I started doing a little bit of squad, but I still get smashed. And so I think I pretty much stopped. you never made it to the morning, eh? Mm, I might have. Were, were, this, were the Oscar squads were they afternoons were they you, often you started in the afternoon and then you started doing morning training yeah I might not have done mornings and then I think I stopped squad I might have even stopped club started water polo and started rowing yeah um, so it would have been about 13 but did water polo through to good sport <laughs> through school um, wasn't any good at that either um, and definitely wasn't wasn't quick all the actual swimmers were way quicker but and I guess since then have kind of used swimming as a cross training yeah. and rowing so when I was in Dunedin I'd use it for cross training um, and so you can still enjoy swimming a bit eh <laughs> yeah man um, don't have too much black line fever <laughs> my my best man Matt and I used to use swimming as cross training because he did coast to coast, as but and he also well that's not swimming, but he did he did an Ironman as well. He did Wanaka Challenge. Yeah. But back when I was an Ironman. Wow. Yeah. Um, and he's not a swimmer, and he kind of got hooked on swimming through that process. Yeah. And decided that just that combination of controlled breathing. Yes. Um, low, low impact resistance training was a really good form of cross training for him yeah and um so when i went back to like i i used to do swimming for cross training while i was rowing a little bit like in dunedin i'd go to moana pool yeah if i had a sore back or something um even in christchurch i'd go to jelly park mm-hmm. or the Graham condon pool um and do a few k but it was more when i went back to mccargill to work after uni and I kind of stopped rowing well stopped rowing hardcore Matt and I would go to the pool every Friday night bang out two to two and a half k Decent. and then have some craft beers and, <laughs> and a kebab afterwards and just completely undo any any fitness we'd done but it was a really good just a really good hang um that's that's not what I'm doing <laughs> Yeah, or like like the mental health aspect of it was awesome, yeah, and, and the physical health probably balanced out um, the food, food and the food. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that was a, a really good part of our week, and uh, we kind of we kind of would do just the odd bit of training, like we do an egg together just to keep fit. We'd do the swim together to keep fit. We might go for a row for fun, do the odd run. I was coaching at the time, so I might do the odd session with my with my crews. Yeah, and then we like entered. It's a nothing regatta, but um, we entered the interprovincial champs for a bit of a laugh that year, and um, we beat these guys who were in the New Zealand under twenty one team. Like, <laughs> no training, and we're like, "Fuck yeah!" Still got it. Swimming on Friday, still got it in the pier. And then a few weeks later, um, uh, my mate Scott and I. So Scott's the guy that took me power diving. We did the Cromwell Clyde race. So that's, and we did that in the pier. That's and we were the fastest two-man boat down the course and did like a really slick time Gee. out of doing all this kind of semi, like not serious training, but just like I, I, regular exercise. I can partially relate to that when I quit swimming and then I went to the Southland Champs that year and then qualified for Div 2s and went to Div 2s and won a bunch of medals. Yeah. 
yeah there's something like i reckon once you've got an aerobic base you can train like five times a week so long as you it's re- you're really thoughtful and the rest of your life isn't a fucking nightmare like yeah. you can be healthy and train five times a week and actually be pretty pretty good yeah um and since then like i've just always that's the part i struggle with just being pretty good yeah <laughs> right you gotta be the best yeah. we'll try at least try yeah, yeah. but i don't know train, so, train elite yeah <laughs> since then swimming has been kind of i've had a good feeling about it and um matt uh like matt and our other guy that we used to row with who was part of that 2012 so nationals ollie ex-new zealand rower um, we were going to do we'd always kind of said we we're going to do the national rowing champs again yeah and um the first like just for a bit of a laugh the first time it didn't happen was because matt got skin cancer um so then it was like all oh, right one of our crew might die yeah. so that was kind of freaky and that's then, heavy then he he beat that um and then so it was like right oh next year we're going to go to nationals and then it came back again um which was pretty upsetting um but he got on that drug Keytruder um, and that zapped that. Um, I think it had like just been funded like within the last year. Uh, and um, so he, that helped him beat that. He had a year's course of that. And once he got sort of cleared, I was like, right, we're going to do nationals again. And then by that point, I'm in Christchurch, Ollie's in Queenstown, Matt's in Invercargill. We were going to probably put Scotty in the crew, Scott Barnsdale. Barnsdale, yeah. Um, power guy power guy slash cold declared guy um i think he was between queenstown and potentially going overseas <laughs> um, anymore <laughs> so i think he might still be going to australia as yeah. his, his baby mother's over there right yeah um but anyway um it was like a logistical nightmare so we're like right let's do the wanaka challenge yeah um mark you're useless at running and biking and you're <laughs> not as useless at swimming um you're you're it did you um, get to do cycling i did cycling not not competitively but i did uh, cycling as cross training for rowing right yeah oh yeah because you bought a bike yeah. yeah bought a bike let's not go there yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah, i mean I, I could hit myself on a bike but i wasn't by no means fast yeah um Matt's a handy cyclist, um, Ollie's a handy cyclist, he's regular coast to coaster now. Um, so Ollie's going to do the cycling and Matt's going to do the rowing because he's the fastest runner. Nice. So yeah, been doing a bit of open water training. Um, Mum's done, the, done that swim before so we'll be doing a few swims with her, which is quite cool because she, she used to do that with Granddad. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of knew about it and then I heard more about it um, when Granddad passed away earlier this year. Why, in, in terms of swimming around in Monica? No, like um, that when when Mum was kind of like after uni and stuff. Yeah. Her and Granddad used to go and swim together. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they'd like meet each other at the pool in the mornings and do training together and stuff like that. So I thought that was quite. At cool. the baths, actually, Mark. The baths. Yeah, yeah the baths. In Macarrow baths. So I don't know there's like something about that, that the idea of going for a swim with mum and, cool. and repeating that seems quite cool. Indeed. Um, 
And is it like because she's now semi-retired and works at a swimming pool? There's there's actually a lot of nervousness on my side that she's going to beat me. That's why I tell everyone not about her beating you, but that um, our mum's retired from working and gone back to her university job of uh, lifeguarding, <laughs> lifeguarding and swimming. Yeah, yeah. She's now like semi-professional swimmer. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, she she's pretty quick. Oh yeah, she's got, she's got, apart from, the, she was telling me on Sunday, Saturday, Monday, Monday, <laughs> um, that uh, she struggles to breathe on bilaterally, which is trouble I had as a swimmer and probably why I developed the hip problem, but um, yeah. she's the opposite to me, left side, I was right side, but yeah, um, apart from the single side breathing, she's got good technique, uh, does Julie, she won a few masters medals yeah well, I mean, when, when, when we were young i think she would because she did the mixed team last time and she caught up with whatever the i mean there's there's definitely mixed um mixed abilities do those they qualified for the worlds for the age yeah, yeah like she was quirk out of the water to the point that i think her um cyclists and running were kind of like oh jesus we actually have to we're going <laughs> her down her downfall she said to me is that where they used to hold it, the run wasn't too bad, but she didn't like it still. Yeah. And now it's at Glenview Bay. There's going to be a big-ass run up the bank, across the paddock, over the road, to yeah. Wanaka Station, and she's not looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I watched her do that. She was not a good nick. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think part of it is your equilibrium gets all out, because you've been on, you've been effectively semi-weightless on your belly. Yeah. And then you've got to stand up, get your, and you're like puffed. Yeah. And you've emptied the gas tank. You've got to stand up and like balance on a lake shore and run with like a, you're up to your waist and, and water. It's just a fr- flipping nightmare. And all the like little little terraces that are on the lake shore yeah. and sticks and yeah. crap. Yeah. So you watch it, there's people falling over. Um, That's what's a bit chaotic. Yeah. It's nuts. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see the triathlons triathletes do it and they're like ready to, ready to roll but a lot of people don't realize what's involved there yeah i got a heads up when our friend tim had um had done the motor challenge is that tim outer tim outer yeah. and they had a portage so you, you swam a lap and then you had to stand up run along the bank for like 20 meters and jump in and you could see him like stand up and just like start absolutely blowing and then he's, it was only a 20 meter run and you could hear him huffing and puffing and then then you go back around again and then you have to get up and run up the bank to tag your friend in. And he was, he's a very poor runner, but he was... I used to play soccer with him, he's not that bad. Oh, he's, <laughs> let's just say he hasn't run since he played soccer. Yeah, there might be more. Yeah. Good, he's a good hunter. Yeah. And it, yeah, he was absolutely blown to the point that he like, he ran up, to his teammate fell on the ground and the idea was like you take the the um the transmitter off my ankle because like my job is done and he, he came out of the water delusional front of the pack but then talking to him after he's like that run is just horrendous you lose all your rhythm yeah by doing the portage and then the actual run up the bank like your equilibrium's all out you can't run you're blowing your load doing the swim and you mentally don't actually think about trying to 
run out the back. You got water in your ears. You take your yeah. cap off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, you're not on Facebook anymore. Does Big OC still exist, or that doesn't exist anymore? Big OC at Bebo dot com. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you can find you. Yeah. Um, I've got an Instagram account. That that's the Big OC one. Um, I don't contribute. I just consume. <laughs> um, it's good for on the shitter. But <laughs> you got it. <laughs> but I, I actually deleted that app too. Um, so, so you can still follow you, but there's nothing. Yeah, you follow you. You're not going to get anything out of it. <laughs> um, I've got a Twitter account there somewhere. Uh, I don't think I've contributed to that. I think I messaged was it a guy Ben from uh, Hodaki back in about 2014 about what was this song? That's probably my my one tweet. Nice. Yeah. I good. So, yeah. I can subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hit, the, hit the bell for notifications yeah yeah, yeah. it's never gonna ring <laughs> awesome so what's the thing that shows up when things are going good mark what's um do you live your life by any quotes or ideas or ideals um oh, i think you, know, you could probably go back to what we talked about earlier where you, I think everyone knows their process when things are going good mm. um, and I think for me it's more being conscious of not deviating from that process so that kind of dancing with the one that brung you type thing um, it's it's innate for me if I feel tired um, exhausted shitty um <laughs> You're hungry first, check that. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> do I need calories? Oh man, I'm intermittent fasting. I guess I can't use that as an excuse. Um, have you slept? Yeah, have I slept? Um, yeah. You're, you're an omnivert, so have I seen too many people? Have I seen nobody? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> now, what's going What do I know is going good? Uh, yeah, for, for me, it's, it's quite innate. I will like I'll start having negative thoughts and then I'll probably start behaving shitty and then my wife will be like, "Why are you being like this?" And I go, "Oh yeah, um, <laughs> we need to change a few things." By <laughs> we, I mean me, but you're going to help because that's what happens when you marry someone. You get dragged into their problems. Those are my problems. <laughs> my problems. <laughs> yeah, I think that'll be it. Um, stick to my process and then be mindful. Be mindful yeah, of where you're at. Of where I'm at. Do, do those regular checks. Cool, man. Drive safe to uh, Army tomorrow. Beautiful party. Thanks. Nice. Legend. This is cool. I'll see you in four weeks. Yeah. <laughs>